Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit, with your host, Andy Shurick and Stacy Wedding. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to another episode of Nonprofit Everything, um, the podcast where we talk about everything nonprofit. Uh, the way this works is you send us questions and we answer the questions. Um, and I'd like to just point out one little extra feature that if you haven't noticed. So if you go to the Nonprofit Everything website, so nonprofiteverything.com, you can also get the same information at the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits website, which is allianceforNevadaNonprofits.com. And if you look at the podcast episode, you can see there's a time on the bottom of each of those. And if you see a topic that you want to listen to that specific topic, that time tells you where you can start listening to the episode. So if Stacy and I are talking about something you find absolutely irritating, you can just skip it. <laughs> and it can happen. <laughs> <laughs> it will happen. And you can just skip that and go right to the thing that you want. Also, that's a good way to look at older episodes. So if there's a particular board question you think we may have answered already, you can look at the older episodes, find the time, and then just scrub away at that and those those uh, little irritating bumpers that are in the middle which are very polarizing apparently the little music <laughs> that's in between each of the episode each of the little questions will give you a uh, should give you a hint that the next question is starting that's why they're there so um, presented by the alliance for nevada nonprofits again my name's andy shurick i'm stacy wedding let's go All right, so here's our next question. When engaging with a lapsed donor, is there a good time frame to ask for a gift again? Well, it really depends on why the donor is lapsed and how long they've been lapsed. I'm a big believer at trying to figure out um, why you've lost touch with the donor and perhaps it has something changed in the donor's life. Is the donor, uh, have they found another cause they want to support? Did you do something to upset them? So I'm a big believer that if you have the capacity to actually have a sit down or a phone conversation, just to check in and sort of re-familiarize yourself with the donor, get reconnected again, and uh, and kind of take it from there. And and. I think it's sort of a natural thing. You don't know it may come up naturally in that conversation to talk about a new project or something you need help getting funded, um, or it may be something that you realize you have some relationship repair and rebuilding to do first. Uh, so I don't think there's sort of a hard line, fast and you know, and furious rule or black and white with it. I think it's sort of just keeping relationship front and center and then moving from there. Yeah, I know there's, um, in direct mail at least, they have very specific um, at least the the companies that help you do that kind of thing have very specific rules about how often you go back to lapse donors and, and what you should do with that list and what kinds of things those direct mail pieces should do. Um, but I think you're more talking about like a, a significant donor and less than, you know, not a $25 a year donor, but yeah. somebody bigger than that. Yeah, but I think that's the point. Some people may be reading this thinking, yeah, I have lapsed donors that are the smaller, you know, maybe annual gift donors. Um, and with that approach, then absolutely the expertise from direct mail, um, ex you know, everybody shares, you know, don't, you're not going to just badger this donor, right? Because that's one of the rules of thumb in fundraising is if you're only going to donors to sort of hold your hand out again, always asking for the next donation, you're going to lose a donor quickly. So how is it you make them feel connected to your organization that it's not always a handout? And I think that's sort of a rule of thumb you can use with small or large donors. Um, but yeah, my experience with major gift donors is that 
it really needs to be a conversation and, and not about why haven't you given to us, but hey, we wanted to to reconnect. It's been a while. How are you doing? You know, where did we, you know, we haven't heard from you in a while. What's going on? Is there anything we could do better or that, you know, we did that that has, has sort of resulted in you um, sort of you know, going in some other directions. And I think starting with that and then hopefully you can rebuild. And sometimes people just appreciate being able to share that. Yeah. Are they honest? Do you think when you have those conversations, you know, I'll tell you what, I think they are. I think because they don't get asked that often. I don't think this is something people are comfortable doing because people have a hard time trying to figure out how to have that conversation. And so I found it to be, I've had this conversation with donors before, and I know I've been on the receiving end before where perhaps I started to feel a little bit, um, I don't know, just like inundated with requests. So I started to kind of back away from the nonprofit. And when they actually, you know, at one one of them, probably out of several this has happened with, actually sat down and said, we haven't heard from you in a while. What, you know, what's going on? And you know what? And we had a very candid conversation because I thought I want to help them. Even if I don't give to them again, I want to help them so they don't make the same mistake with somebody else. So I think for the most part, it depends on relationship again. If I don't feel like you're listening to what I'm saying, I'm probably not going to share it. Here's another one. As I'm considering my career progression in nonprofits, I'm hearing and reading that development and fundraising experience is a must for reaching the top levels of leadership. Raises a few questions for me. Is it true? And if it's true, is it important that I can demonstrate my ability to build relationships, bring in money, or both? Um, Generally speaking, how much development fundraising experience is enough to be considered for advancement? And do I actually need to be in development and fundraising to gain this experience? If not, how do I get it? Oh, great questions. And there's about five or six questions in one. So I'll do my best to tackle some of these. And Andy, you jump right in. Um, So first of all, I think, you know, obviously, more is better. So if you're going to go and you're going to advance in your career, it's not going to hurt you to have that. And if anything, I do think that given um, what is considered, at least in southern Nevada, a lot of people struggle with saying, do we have enough fundraising talent. So I think because there is at least a perception of that, whether that's the the truth or not is a different thing, but there's a perception of that by boards and executive directors that oftentimes they are looking for somebody who has that skill set because they feel like there's not a huge pool to choose from. So I think that's the reality of at least our local environment. Um, I think that, you know, some of it depends on the the type of nonprofit, right? Because if you're dealing with a membership organization versus a social services organization versus an organization that is primarily earned income driven, and I just, I'm going to say Goodwill because it's the one we all know, right? So think about like something like Goodwill. Most of those positions, while they did have, do have a development person, but most of those positions are more around how do we, you know, sort of make sure we're strong in the earned income and retail side and how that's a whole different skill set than fundraising. So I think the first kind of answer is it depends on the nonprofit and the type of nonprofit. (laughs) Just exactly what you wanted when you asked the question. I know. I'm sure you're like, oh, it depends. But anyway, so I do think kind of, so if let's say, for example, you don't have that official experience, then perhaps you find, I mean, and is that something of interest to you? Because if it's not of interest, then maybe you look at there's a lot of different nonprofit models. So I guess that's where I'm going with that. But if you do really want to advance, and maybe someday you want to even be an executive director, 
absolutely think you've got to be comfortable and be able to, in the process, be able to at least demonstrate that you're comfortable, willing, and have had some experience in the fundraising world and in the relationship building world. I mean, relationship building is a given, right? We all need to build relationships. I don't care whether it's with staff or vendors or board members or whomever. We all need to be good relationship builders. So that's just sort of a given. But as far as official fundraising experience, I almost think it's more about being a generalist. If, If nothing else, understanding the general principles of fundraising, understanding there's different ways to approach it, you don't have to be an expert in all of that. That's probably why a staff person that is an expert in it will get hired or a consultant will or whomever. But you have to know enough to be able to, you know, have a conversation and perhaps make smart decisions around it. And I'm thinking of this more as to if you kind of progress to be an executive director, right? Yeah. Now, I realize that there's probably, there's all sorts of, you know, different stages and, and, and um you know, kind of job levels. So maybe it's not ED and then that's probably a different scenario. But what do you think? Yeah, this question has been haunting me. It's one I read it like when we got it a couple of weeks ago and I looked at it and I was like, oh, that's an easy answer. Of course you want to, you know, everybody should get fundraising experience. And then more than I think, the more than I think about it, I'm thinking back to hiring conversations that I've been a part of, um, positions that I've been up for that I did or didn't get for whatever reason. And, and, it leads me to believe that once you get to the stage at which fundraising is um, part of what you're expected to know, you're already expected to know it. So the difference between, like, depending on the size of the organization you're in, if you're in a giant organization and you are not going to be the executive director, it's probably not critical that you know fundraising. Mm -hmm. Um, You should know what it is. You should know how it works. Um, The smaller the organization gets, the smaller you get, the more likely you're going to have to have more hats on and you're going to have to know more about how fundraising works. Um, And you might have to get experience there. Um, But for each of those little subsets of those questions, like like um, building relationships. So when we talk about fundraising, like if if you're just like a program officer, or you're just a development officer, people aren't giving to you. They're, they're giving to right. people that are the same social status as they are, right? So right. that's that's not you. That's other board members. There's right. people that are the same as they are. They're giving because of the mission, and you're just there to sort of facilitate that transaction for them. They're, it's not you personally. So building relationships is like, you know, can you answer the phone? Are you good at returning phone <laughs> right. calls? Do you respond <laughs> properly? How's yeah. your grammar? You know, those kinds yeah. of – those are sort of basic fundraising yeah. things, right? Yeah. Um, but then you look at some organizations and they go to hire their chief executive and they hire a chief executive from the for-profit sector who has no fundraising experience because they've never even been, they might've been a board member. So they know it from the outside, but they certainly don't know it from the inside, but that's okay in some instances because they're looking for some combination of skills that they think this person has and that they can shore it up by bringing in other people that do have fundraising skills. So they'll, they'll, you know, they'll pair a, a for-profit CEO with a longtime development person or fundraiser from the community who they know knows how it works. Um, so, yeah, it's a complicated it answer. Is. It's a really complicated answer. I think you know, my opinion is, yeah, the more you know about – because fundraising for 90% of the organizations that we're talking about, fundraising is how you get the money. Like, yeah. there's no other mechanism for getting money. If you get money from a different way, like, you probably shouldn't be a nonprofit. Like, the whole point of being a nonprofit is that tax deduction that right. you don't have to pay tax on your profit and that you can give people the option of donating to you without having – and they can get a tax benefit for that. So so that's so core to the mission of most organizations that it seems like you ought to know a lot about it. 
Um, how do you get that experience? I mean, nobody's ever said no to, hey, can I learn some more about what it is that you do? You can join AFP. You can talk to a bunch of people over at AFP who can help you understand um, what's going on. If you want to hop from organization to organization and maybe go into a development role to see how you like it, AFP is a good place to facilitate that because everybody there knows what positions are vacant right, and right. which ones you totally don't want to take, right? <laughs> Those are the run for the hills ones. Yeah, but no, no, no. You're going to learn yeah. a lot, but you're going to catch on fire. Yeah. I think you could also, it's a great, a great opportunity to look at maybe perhaps you join a board, um, depending on what the, if it's the right fit for you and for that organization. Um, being a board member and being a good board member means doing some fundraising, right? So being able to get your feet wet, um, maybe it's even a development committee. There's a lot of organizations that have development committees that I'm aware of that are always looking for, they you know can't get any board members wrangled onto those or they only get a couple and they're looking for outside um, people who want to learn, uh, grow, and perhaps even have expertise. So I think there's room for that, um, you know, doing some pro bono, you know, hey, I want to, you know, help you write an annual appeal or whatever. There's a lot of opportunity, I think, to just kind of get your feet wet. Yeah. Um, but being able to share that experience, I think, is critical because I've been, like you, Andy, I've been in a lot of rooms where hiring decisions are made or discussions prior, and so many times they'll say, I mean, the board's first concern, since boards generally don't love fundraising, is are, do, do we have an executive director who can fundraise? And do we have somebody who... And I, I think what's interesting about that question is, I mean, there's a lot that we could unravel that and probably talk for 30 minutes just on that question. But I think it's also, does that person, can you say that you've sat in a room and made an ask of somebody before? Can you share that story with your prospective employer? Are you comfortable and willing to do that? Because at the end of the day, if you're an executive director or CEO, you're oftentimes going to be the one that's doing that, even with, you know, your development director may be priming the pump for you to get in that room, but you're the one who's making that ask, or you're there with the board member, and you're making the ask as the board member shares their passion. So I do think being able to share some of that experience is, I don't know if I would call it essential, but I think it's really important. Here's one for you, Stacy. We are creating our annual report. We are a four-year-old nonprofit serving foster youth. In 2017, we finally turned the corner from not knowing if we would meet payroll to ending the year with a $40,000 surplus. Congratulations. I would like to let our supporters know this and emphasize that we are still in need of their financial support in order to make us a sustainable organization into perpetuity. Is this wise? If so, how would you frame it? Well, first of all, congrats to this organization. I'm sure all of us, um, we'd love for you to comment back and tell us how you how you went from sort of barely making payroll to $40,000 surplus. So kudos to you. Obviously, you're on the right track. Um, I'm a believer from everything I've seen, everything I've heard talking to donors, success breeds success, right? Donors um, like investing in an organization that's successful. They like, uh, and that's impacting, making an impact. So I think how... I would go about it is absolutely sharing because of your generosity, right? Making that donor feel like the hero because of you, because of your generosity, we raised this much last year and impacted these, this many lives. And we still have a huge need and here's what that need is. And here's what you can help us do to, to re reach that, you know, goal and, and help us meet that need this year. So sort of taking a full circle, thanking 
you know, acknowledging that you had a, you know, kick-ass year and thanks to those donors for making that possible. Um, but then also you still got to paint the picture of, okay, that the need still exists, but here's what the next piece of that need is, or this is what an additional, you know, so much money can help us do. And so, so what do you think they're trying to avoid? Are they, they're trying to avoid donors saying, you guys have you're plenty too rich, of, right. you're too rich, right? You have plenty of money and you don't need my help anymore. So, so is that a thing? Do donors really feel that way? Um, I think some do, but I think it also goes back to donors feel that way if they feel like their dollars are a drop in the bucket. So it's making sure each donor, I think you, you're communicating with them in a way that they truly feel like their dollars helped you do X, Y, and Z. And so that is so much part of sharing your story and telling the impact that I think that becomes less of an issue, then it feels like for a donor who oftentimes today's donors, right, are looking at these as investments. It's a charitable investment of what am, what's my ROI on this investment. And it's a new way, new age of philanthropy with people thinking about it. So you think donors, A, want to see a return on the investment. And if you're doing good with that money, then they want to do more of that. What do you think? Well, I've heard the question um, like phrased a different way. So I, I work with one organization who has one really really fantastic funder that gives them a, a lot of money and they give them money in huge chunks. So rather than, you know, trickling it out, you know, here's a 10,000 here, 10,000 here, they give them like, here's $4 million. <laughs> and Must so, nice. yeah. And, but, but their challenge is they're having difficulty raising money from other organizations, from other foundations, individuals, because people look at their balance sheet and they've got all this cash floating around. And it's like, well, what do you need our help for? You've got enough, you know, but the first donor who's given the big chunk wants them to diversify and doesn't want the be their sole funder, right? It's kind of a kind of a chicken and an egg problem for them. They, I, they yeah. So they, w- one of the strategies that we talked about is like maybe the board can then, you know, what's the four million dollars for? Was it is it for is it for ten years of operations? Is it for startup? Like why did they give you that specific amount of money? And if it can be, if it wasn't restricted, if you were lucky enough to get that as an unrestricted gift, then maybe the board can put a uh, a board restriction on it. So the board can designate those funds as being for perpetuity and that only the interest can be and the interest in the capital gains can be used because the board can restrict and unrestrict stuff as, as they go. So, so that way when someone looks at the financial statements, they'll see, oh, they got this, but it's earmarked for these activities, so they need more money for, for other things. It really, when I listen to you, I think it all comes back to communication and how we communicate, right? So if, if someone just sees the numbers on, you know, uh, on your financials, on your audit, it's easy to make their own stories up. So you've got to be ahead of that and you need to be sharing, yeah, we got this really amazing, huge grant or gift. And here's what that's going to do for us and for those we serve. And yet there is still, the need is this wide and we still have a long way to get there. And this is where you can help us. So I think it's still, um, and you know what, what better way for that organization that specifically you're talking about if that board were to put a restriction or say that's going to go all towards operating because operating is a heart, those are the hardest dollars to raise. Imagine the power of that story saying we had a generous donor that believed in us so much that they're covering our operating. And so now every single one of your dollars is going directly to the programs and people we serve. What a powerful way to, to share that. Yeah, that's a great idea. Okay, here's another one. I'm a young professional and have been working in the nonprofit sector for about seven years. I have some working board experience. That's in quotes, working board. 
experience, and I'd like to transition to a traditional nonprofit board, <laughs> a non-working board. <laughs> Is guess. there such a thing as a traditional nonprofit board? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not really sure where to start. Would it be totally strange for me to reach out to leadership at organizations that I'm interested in to inquire about being a board member? Further, how should I navigate a scenario where it would be a good fit for the board, but the dues are beyond my capacity to give or get? Should I find a different board? First of all, I love hearing people who want to be on boards because it is so difficult to find people who are actually eager to serve on boards. So thank you. Thank you for your interest. And um, absolutely, I think reaching out makes a lot of sense. I'm going to assume by traditional nonprofit board, you're talking more of a policy or governing level board, um, which is is what you're referring to. So one that probably has paid staff. So you don't actually have to get in the grind of doing the operations like you're doing now. Um, but I think reaching out to leadership, you know, going to that executive director, if you know someone on the board saying you're interested um, and really asking questions. So where I think people make a mistake when they're joining a board or considering joining a board is not asking enough questions, not finding out what is the time requirement? Do I need to serve on a committee? How, what is the financial requirement? So these are all, I, I love the fact that, um, you know, this person said, gosh, I, what, what if I can't meet the financial requirement? That's a great question because more board members should be worried about that when they go in and, and are exploring sitting on a board. Right. Um, right. So I think, um, absolutely talking to leadership, some things to think about. I, I am a huge believer. If you can try something out like for size first to see if it's a good fit for you and the organization is great. So if there is a way to perhaps maybe you can be a visitor at a board meeting and see what kind of culture they have, if you can maybe serve on a committee as if their bylaws allow it, right, as an outside person, so you can get a sense of how this organization is structured and operates um, and is governed sometimes can really help even inform your decision about whether you want to be on the board. Um, but let's say, given all that, you still are like gung-ho, want to do it, but gosh, this financial you know, obligation is too steep. Uh, I think it might be worth thinking a little bit about how you give that money. So sometimes we look at something that says, oh, it's a thousand bucks. Gosh, how am I going to afford that? And we think it's all in one fell swoop. There are so many boards that allow you to, if you need to do divide that up into t- over 12 months and it's a monthly contribution, or you look at doing meeting that in some other way through an in-kind service, there's a lot that have some wiggle room in that. So we think it's, again, asking those questions and finding out, um, does this feel like the right fit for you and for them? Are you able to meet those expectations? And if you're not being really forthright about it, they still may figure out a way to kind of, you know, indoctrinate you, get you, get you into the fold, um, depending on how much they, they, they want your sort of, you know, perspective and talent. Yeah. I I think that's, I mean, I agree. That's fantastic to be asking this question. And um, so I've worked with a handful of boards that when they put together their matrix of like, who's going to be on the board, um, one of the things I keep encouraging them to add is age. Um, so that because most boards, when you look at them, the average age is in like in the 60s, which yeah. is that's great. But that means you're missing a big chunk of the population mm. of people that are in their 20s and 30s that really have a ton to contribute. And I don't mean just social media because that's the first thing. They go, oh, you can help <laughs> us with our social media stuff. Right. Um, so so. One of the ways that you can try to get into it is talk to these boards and say, well, tell me about your representation of under 30 or your representation of under 40. And they'll, that will sort of 
key them into maybe they need to be thinking about diversity in different ways mm -hmm. other than just trying to you know tick the the the, the standard boxes that they're ticking. Yeah. Um, the the only challenge for the give and get that I see is some boards that have a give or get policy are really proud of their 100% board participation rate. And and to them that's more important than getting people on the board that might have different perspectives or might be really useful for the board. Um, so so it's worth talking to them about, you know, is there a way that they can uh, can they get a waiver for that? Is you know, if because I'm under 40, can you maybe like not include me in that discussion or, you know, maybe don't count me or, or does the get portion, you know, what can I do on the get, you know, so can I help with um, fundraising events? Can I help write things? Can I, can you, can I come up with a way, like you said, you know, can we do it in kind right. some ways or some way that I can provide that service to you without having to actually come up with, because some of the boards in town, at least I mean, here in Las Vegas, there's at least one board where the get the give or get is twenty five thousand dollars. So and it, it may be more than that now. It used to be twenty five thousand um, dollars, and that's not something that normal people really no. just have floating no. around. Um, so so it's really that sort of higher echelon of of board member. Um, so some of those you may not ever even get your foot in the door there, right? Yeah, and, and do, would you even want to? Because they're obviously looking by setting a $25,000 give or get, they're really sending a message of what they're looking for. And yeah. at the end of the day, that's okay if that's not a good fit for you. Uh, I, yeah, I do think it's it's interesting uh, thinking a little bit about other ways because I, I go, you know, it's as simple. We've heard it all before, but what if we each gave up one Starbucks coffee a week, right? One coffee a week and whatever, no, let's I'm, say I they, can't do that. You can't do it. Okay. So you wouldn't <laughs> there's, do there's that. No Come on, Andy, you wouldn't sacrifice. <laughs> all right. So whatever that is, but whatever that little sort of that spending you're doing, if you gave that up and had 25 bucks a month that you could give as a monthly donation before you know it, you've got 400 bucks, 300 bucks, whatever that you've, you've given to an organization in a year. So I think I guess I just am all about people being creative, not letting that limit them. Um, and there's so many boards, I don't know about you, Andy, that I work with that talk about, we want a board member who will make a personally meaningful gift and they keep it open. They don't even have a give right, and get. Right. So, right. So again, I think there's going to be plenty of opportunity. Don't let that stop you from even looking. Yeah. And if there's an institution that an organization that you're really into, Approach the executive director and say, hey, I, how can I be involved? I'd love to be on your board, but it looks like I'm not the, you know, I'm not the caliber of person that you're looking for, maybe. Or there's some boards that are still stuck in that mindset of they just need one person from every corporation that they get a grant from. <laughs> so they just have like like random people Ugh. from each big company. They in really town. could care less yeah, about the totally mission. Totally care less about the mission, but they they feel like they need to have that person on there so they can get their their $10,000 annual gift from the corporation. So, so those organizations, I mean, that's a big red flag. Like if you're not, if you don't work for a utility, like maybe you don't want to be on that board, right? <laughs> so like get really looking into the ones where, where your contribution is going to be meaningful to both you and yes. the organization is, is way more important than like how important, you know, does somebody recognize the name of the, the nonprofit when I say it, right? Absolutely. Every year, Giving Tuesday rolls around, and we haven't really prepared for it. Any tips to get us motivated? I think the first tip is that if you need to get motivated about it, should you even be doing it? Uh, 
just because Giving Tuesday, you know, for those who aren't familiar with Giving Tuesday, it's, you know, this global movement um, related to charitable, you know, of, of giving, kind of global day of giving around the around the world there. People are encouraged to, to donate or support their favorite charity, very heavily driven by social media, happens, you know, the Tuesday after Thanksgiving. And it's really, there's organizations who have actually used it and done well with it find it to be yet another day to kind of kick off the charitable giving season for end of year giving and holidays. So that's great. But I also think that this kind of stuff, if it doesn't work for you or your organization's already doing something like that through another giving day or you've already got your plan for the year and this is just one extra thing that you don't have capacity for, then don't do it. I, so, so I think sometimes it's about not letting this creep up. It doesn't work if you wait the last second. Nothing, right? Everything is, you kind of, you get what you put into it. And I think people who wait to the last minute on online giving days, and that goes for Giving Tuesday, that goes for Nevada's Big Give, you can directly see a correlation between the time and effort put in Uh, the planning put into it, and the results. And so people think it's an easy thing that they can just do a few social media blasts and get some kind of huge, um, you know, source of funds raised or promotion that day. And it just doesn't work that way. So I think it's either got to be strategic where it's part of your development plan for the year or it's not. So what kinds of things can you, you know, are there resources that'll help you get started? I can think of an organization that thinks like, yeah, that would be great. I really want to do that, but I don't quite know where to start, you know, I could do some Facebook posts or tweets or something, but there is a great, if you go to just givingtuesday.org, they provide phenomenal free resources. They also provide case studies of what others have done around the world. And a lot of them have done something. Sometimes people decide they're going to carve it out for a certain segment of donor, or maybe a volunteer people define giving in different ways. So maybe giving is actually, I've heard nonprofits that have actually used it as a day for them to give back to another charitable organization. So you kind of can like, it's really, there's some exciting, compelling examples of it done well that I think anybody, if they kind of read some of those and take a few minutes, you could actually get totally motivated to do something kind of fun and different for your organization. Might as well not reinvent the wheel. Yeah, yeah, especially if there's good case studies, that sounds, you know, just read those, right? Absolutely. Great. It's a wrap. Thanks for joining us again for another episode of Nonprofit Everything. We have so much fun with you here, and we hope you're having just as much fun listening to us and sometimes our kind of crazy, nutty behavior. But uh, we love your questions, so please keep them coming. You can submit through Nonprofit Everything. You can visit us through Nonprofit Everything's website, through Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits, which, by the way, huge kudos and shout out to Anne, because Anne, you are making this possible for everybody And uh, I don't know about you, Andy, but I learn something every time we do this, whether I learn it listening to you or whether there's a question that I actually had to research before we got in the room recording this. So thank you because you're helping us too. So we hope um, this continues to be of value to you. (music) 